Hey, hello, lovers. I don't know why I always use a British accent. I don't know. I mean, I appreciate the sultry comment, I guess, <laughs> considering the topic of this podcast, but... Did I tell you the time that I pretended to have a British accent in an office setting? No, but now I have, like, my first thought was, like, was this during an interview and you, for some reason, were British and if you got that job, you would just always have to be British? It wasn't my interview. <laughs> Did you conduct an interview where you were British? somewhere in between no I was working for a small startup and I I wasn't at the front desk but I I guess I was the only one at the front of the office that day so I opened the door and I introduced myself with a British accent for no apparent reason (laughs) (laughs) just because I am who I am and had to lead them all the way upstairs to talk to the VP of construction (laughs) and then came in to my boss and was like and here is so-and-so for the interview and he was looking at me like wow you are insane like he just shook his head and was like i'm not gonna comment on this wow i i don't think that person ended up working the company i just thought that i was the awkward sister (laughs) but that is beyond anything i've ever done i was like 23 there's no excuse i don't think there's yeah i don't think there's an excuse I feel like we're learning a lot about each other through this podcast. Yeah. So I'm still waiting for your Irish accent. No. Which listeners won't know, but applies for when we discuss Next time week. travel. Next yeah. Week's episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, hello. <laughs> Welcome to Love and a Romance Podcast. So last week we talked about rock stars. Yeah. And this week, as our alternating week, we are doing our Feel the Love Friday. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Before we get into any of the content, quick correction for last week's episode. We talked about a book called The Words, which is a great rock star romance. And I believe that we pronounced the author's name Ashley James. Her name is Ashley Jade. So apologies to Ashley Jade. Lovely book. Definitely go read it and uh, we'll do better. Yeah. J-A-D-E, Jade. And mm-hmm. I, I actually really, really, really like that book. It's definitely going to be a reread for me at some point. So go, Ashley. Yes. So what did we read this week? Mm, okay. Well, I actually didn't read a ton this week. Well, I did I did some reading for like future episodes. We decided that at some point we're going to do a road trip episode. And so I loved the book I read this week, but I can't talk about it. It's so good. Instead, I'm going to talk about one that I've been reading for a while, so Caitlin and I love Sarah J. Moss's A Court of Thorns and Roses series. Is that what the series is called? I don't know. Is it just know. the first? So the first book is A Court of Thorns and Roses, Akatar for short. And it's a fantasy romance series featuring Faye. Uh, it's a three book series. And then there are a couple books afterward. We love that. We'll need to do a whole episode on it at some <laughs> point because it's so good. It's so good. It's like... It, that for me kind of reignited my love of reading as an adult a little mm-hmm. bit because, I mean, I literally have a related tattoo on my body, so you know I loved it. <laughs> yeah, uh, so anyway, that's just to say we love Sarah J. Moss, and so for a long time I've had in my bookshelf the first book of her another series, fantasy series she's written, the Crescent City series. The first book is House of Earth and Blood. The second one actually just came out earlier this year, and I'm halfway through that, but. I wanted to talk about the first one because I actually really liked it. It's very different from Akatar. It's an urban fantasy, and it takes place between Bryce, who is a half-fae, our female heroine, and Hunt, who is an angel. Ooh. Yeah. 
I did not love Hunt as much as I loved the male lead in the Akatar series. Yes, which, by the way, we're not going to give any spoilers, no. and you should not look up anything beyond the first book. No, yeah. Because it should. gets interesting. It gets interesting. It's so good. But that's not to say I didn't like Hunt. I really, really liked him. I just think the Akatar hero is like beyond the epitome of yeah, the male yeah, hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Bryce and Hunt were great, and. I I did struggle a little bit at the beginning of this book because she kind of throws a lot of world building at you. Like I really have to be in the mood for a fantasy romance because you have to wrap your brain around so much. And there's not just Fae and Angel in this stories. There are shifters. There mm-hmm. are mer, which is like mermaids. There's other sorts of angels. There's demons. There's just a huge variety um, they're humans as well, um, all mixing in this urban city landscape. And a lot of terminology is thrown at you very early in the book. So I would actually say I read this book pretty slowly over like two weeks. And then when I got to like 60%, I just raced through the end because it got really, really good. So I loved it. It is definitely a romance, a little bit of enemies to lovers between Hunt and Bryce. She is a really kick-ass heroine. She's sassy as shit. Um, Sarah Jane Moss is good at writing the kick-ass heroines. Yeah, and Hunt, he's definitely like a broody Mm -hmm. character, but... uh, And how many books is it? So only two are out, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's going to be four because there... Or maybe just three. There's the House of Earth and Blood is like one of the houses in this society. The second one is the House of Sky and Breath. Mm. Or is it Breath and Sky? I always confuse it. But there's at least one or two other houses in the universe. So I, I'm pretty sure she'll do like a book for each hmm. house. Cool. Yeah. So I really like that. What did you read? I read, well, this is actually a reread of a book that I love and would recommend to anybody. I don't know if it's technically a romance. It, romance is definitely not the primary. No, but in terms of like the ending, yeah, I think technically, you know, I think you could argue that it's a happy ending with the romance love oh, interest yeah. and you could also argue that it's not depending on how you read it. So, it, but it's a great book. Anyway, so it's called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. And it is essentially about this woman named Adeline who hundreds of years ago basically makes a deal that she can live forever, but no one will remember her after they see her. Like, once they don't see her anymore. Like, if you were Addie, I'm talking to you. I turn around to look out the window to see a car go by. When I turn back to you, I don't remember who you are. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why it's her invisible life. And basically the demon figure that she makes a deal with is named Luke. He visits her once a year. And basically every year he's like, okay, are you ready to stop living this way and give up your soul? And she never is. She finds a lot of joy in life. She lives in all these different, you know, eras, obviously. She lives through time. She moves to different places. She doesn't age. She doesn't age, right? She's just the same age. And then, so the first part of the book is really about her history and how she came to, you know, be this way. And then she meets somebody in New York who remembers her. It's just a great book. I just recommended it to another friend, actually, and uh, highly recommend The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. I think I read that one sort of at the beginning of my romance book journey, Mm -hmm. and I didn't even recognize it was a romance until sort of the end, and I kind of remember being caught off guard a little bit, but then loving that that's how it ended up, like Mm -hmm. that she ended up with who she did. Yeah. But it's also great from a historical fiction perspective, Mm -hmm. because it starts in, I think, the early 1700s in France, and then she really carries through. But I got to say, a lot of it also was just 
like, oh, I would never want to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. Like, she's trying to find lodging and food, mm-hmm. and people are being nice to her, and they're turning around and being like, who the fuck are you? Get out of my house. Right, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. there's you know, a lot of that. The yeah. logistics of it and the world building, I think, are really well done, and it's just, I actually think they're making it into a movie, which they're making everything mm. into a movie, but yeah, highly recommend. That's so great. Yeah, I want to reread that one. The last book I'll talk about that I read this week is Hook, Line, and Sinker by Tessa Bailey. We touched on this in our Tessa Bailey episode a few weeks ago. It is the second in the series. The first one in the series is It Happened One Summer. Hook, Line, and Sinker is about Hannah and Fox. Hannah is Piper's sister from the first book. It is fucking fantastic. I'm only halfway through it. I'm already obsessed with it. I think, I mean, you know that I just love Tessa Bailey. I'm the target audience for her, but I think she just gets better and better with every book. Like her character development, I think is so good. She has, it's like her characters have clearly defined personalities and flaws. And I think she does a great job. And I'm also speaking over this from someone who's writes on their own and struggles with this is like she has a personality or a wound for her characters But then she really goes the distance in thinking about what kind of decisions would they make because of those flaws. And it's like very introspective of like the human condition and like how you react to things. And it's wonderfully layered. So of course, it's got her trademark steam and dirty talk and all of that. So I'm sure I'll continue to love the second half. But I had to to mention that one. It was sitting on my bookshelf for longer than it should have. (laughs) I was supposed to read it right when it came out in March and I did not. So I loved it. Okay. Updates, real quick. So there are a bunch of books coming out in May in the romance genre. It makes sense. It's like a huge month, like leading into summer, and you get all those yummy summer reads. So this past week on May 3rd, just a couple of things I wanted to highlight. Book Lovers by Emily Henry came out. I am so fucking excited. (laughs) I've been waiting for this book forever. Book of Night by Holly Black also came out on May 3rd. It's an adult fantasy Holly Black wrote the Cruel Prince trilogy, Mm -hmm. which is a YA, a fantasy YA. It is closed door, but it was so good. I think it was really good. Yeah. It was really also a really badass heroine. Yeah. Oh, super badass. But beautifully written, beautiful description of world building. So this is her first bully, right? Bully romance? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's slow burn too. Yeah. But so Book of Night is her first adult fantasy. I don't think it's necessarily like romance specific, but I think it is involved. So I'm just, I'm excited anyway, because she's great. And then the other book I flagged that came out this week is Never Been Kissed. It's by Timothy Janofsky. It's an MMYA. Ooh. It it looks cute. I don't know much more than that. I think he's a newer author. I think maybe he only has one other book out there, but... I love MM Romance, and I would be interested to read something by a male author as well. I think that's super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Next week on the 10th, too, I'll just flag, we have Every Summer After by Carly Fortune, which is, I think, more women's fiction and romance. And that is one that has just been kind of talked up a lot in the media, and I think, like, recommended by people like Emily Henry and others. So Mm -hmm. I kind of flagged that one as one to read. And the other one coming out on May 10th is Everything For You by Chloe Lees. She's a really interesting author because she writes neurodivergent characters. This is, I think, the fourth book in the Bergman Brothers series. I've read the first two. In the first book, it features a hero who's dealing with hearing loss. The second book deals with a heroine who is autistic and also dealing with rheumatoid arthritis. 
haven't read the third, but I'm excited for this fourth one. It's an MM sports romance, and I'm sure it will be fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Chloe also has another book coming out in November, which we'll talk about for our news section in a minute, but it's called Two Wrongs Make a Right, and it has an autistic character in the book, so I'm really excited about that one too. Okay, so moving on to the news, Caitlin, why don't you lead us into what we're talking about this week? Okay. It's our kind of primary Feel the Love Friday thing. Yeah, so to preface this, we're recording this a little bit earlier than we normally would because I will be on my honeymoon when this comes out. So we are recording this um, April 24th, and it's not coming out for two weeks. So the big news in the romance world this week, the big hullabaloo, was about the cover of Tessa Bailey's upcoming romantic suspense novel, My Killer Vacation. And specifically, something that her cover artist, designer, posted on her Instagram. On April 19th, Tessa Bailey's cover artist posted on her Instagram with a image of the Tessa Bailey cover, My Killer Vacation. That she designed. That she designed. And then a cover of Chloe Lee's book that's coming out in November called Two Wrongs Make a Right. She posted them side by side, and she basically said that the covers had striking similarities. In particular, the hand placements, the flowing windswept hair the tattoos on the main male character's arms, and the pop of red. And she said, it's too close for comfort. This is not the author's fault. But she basically said, I'm not going to buy this book. I pitched this concept to Tessa Bailey. I feel like this traditional publisher has stolen my idea and used it for their book. Now, we will post the covers on our Instagram, and you can peruse them and take a look. But what do they look like, essentially? (laughs) But in my opinion, they don't really look that similar. So the Tessa Bailey cover, which, by the way, will no longer be the cover of the book after this controversy. (laughs) Yep. Features two people. They're on a beach. She's wearing a red swimsuit. He's got his hands around her back. Her hand is on his chest. They're looking into each other's eyes. And there's beach and water and mountains in the background. It's very cartoony looking. Her hair is sort of windswept. Chloe Lisa's cover is also really beautiful. It's a different style of art. It's still a cartoon, but it's made differently. It's got a completely red background. It's got some tree leaves in the back. It looks like it's autumn or something out on the beach. Yeah, she's wearing a yellow dress. Her hair is a dark color fading into more blonde. The female main character has tattoos on her arm. And she's putting her hand on the main male character's chest, but they're looking at each other. But that's pretty much where the similarities end in terms of, like, the basic pose. So there was a lot of controversy about this. A lot of people on social media probably going after her for this and saying, eh, it's really not that similar. Uh, She ended up deleting all of her photos off her account and making it private. So I'm assuming she got a lot of hate for this, which don't hate people Did you see anything that was, like, supporting her comment? Well, she had turned off comments by the time I I got into this, but a lot of people on Twitter were tearing down the cover, which, like, I don't think is necessary. But the main idea is, like, you don't own ideas. You can own the expression of them under U.S. copyright law, and that's how that works. But, you know, the idea of this type of pose on a romance novel cover is not new, and that was basically what people were saying. So ultimately, Tessa Bailey decided to go with a different design for her cover because of this controversy. So we decided that we would take a little trip into uh, exploring romance covers in general yeah. and the history of them because it's actually super fascinating. Yeah, when Caitlin sent me the tweets from this controversy, again, I, I don't support the the online bullying that went on at all. But I did appreciate the Twitter comments that were commenting back to her basically with like two completely different books or multiple covers of other books that are not by Chloe Lee or Tessa Bailey. 
that might be 20 years old and they literally have the same pose. Right. Woman's hand on the chest, windswept hair, gazing into each other's eyes. Because this has been happening for like 40 years. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and that was just funny to me. And I don't know what was going on in the artist's head that she like had that block where she couldn't see past whatever her own thoughts were. Yeah. Maybe, it, maybe it was the turning of it into a cartoon, but I feel like people have been doing those cartoon covers for a long time too now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, but this led into kind of a discussion and an interest for me to kind of look back and see like why are romance covers the way they are? First of all, I think they're different now than they were in like the 90s. So I remember our mom having a bunch of those small mass market paperbacks like Nora Roberts And those definitely look different from what I see now. I would say they're like two categories of romance book covers I see now. I see the sort of cartoonish ones that are a little bit more modern looking. Sometimes they actually have almost like silhouettes of the characters rather than details of the characters themselves. Sometimes they might not even have any characters on them. They just might be like art on the cover, like swirls or something. And then you have what I think a lot of KU romances have, which is like, a male like shirtless right they're just like kind of divergent like that but neither of those represents what we think of as the original romance novel covers which is what i researched so first of all romance books go back far beyond the kind of covers we're talking about i mean pride and prejudice was written in 1813 by jane austen You have the Brontes, Gone with the Wind in 1936. Like the romance genre has been around for a long time. It just didn't become mass marketed and appreciated, I think, the way it is now. And even now, it struggles with being stereotyped and ridiculed and kind of put down as like a lesser genre. But I don't know, Caitlin, what would you say when you think of like the kind of covers we're talking about? And the kind of covers we're talking about are called clinch covers, which one article I read said just only requires that the two leads be holding each other and engaging with each other. But if I ask you to describe that, like, what do you think of in your head, like independently from whatever this artist argument is on Twitter, like you think of the books from the 90s, what do you think of? I literally just think of Fabio. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So these are the things that I just wrote down kind of independently when I was looking into this. So the woman might be swooning, Like, she literally (laughs) might be, like, mid-fainting, or she is, like, holding on to him in a way that suggests, like, oh, my God, you're so beautiful. Like, I just, I have to stop breathing (laughs) for a second. I will die without you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I will literally fall on this floor unless you're holding Exactly, exactly. I require you to stand. (laughs) Um, He's usually bare-chested, or he's wearing a shirt that is, like, got a very deep v-neck and is... Flowing and open. Flowing and gaping. He might have long hair, and if he does, it's blowing in the wind in an invisible breeze she is definitely wearing a dress i would say i've never seen a clinch cover i don't think with a woman in pants classic but i couldn't be yeah classic clinch she's wearing a dress she probably has an overflowing bosom Mm -hmm. naturally (laughs) naturally and even though he is shirtless he probably has pants on that make his ass look fantastic actually use the word derriere, the perfect derriere in the notes. (laughs) So, and there's this like in the throes of passion kind of sentiment. Yeah, these are the ones that you don't want to bring on the subway with you. Right, right. They're bold, they're bosomy. (laughs) But that's what I kind of looked into because we could talk about romance, like I said, all the way going back to Jane Austen and things like that. But this is where it becomes really 
more open to the public, mass market, more commercial. So the idea of this clinch cover, I should say that the articles I read were by the New York Public Library, Book Riot, and Jezebel, and they're all a couple years old. We'll post them in our Yeah, we'll post links to them. But none of them really could say whether these original clinch covers were made for the male gaze, which is interesting considering, not that they are for women, but like that's who ended up reading them. But the clinch covers that we're talking about tend to really have like almost nude women on them. Like they're really bosomy, like their clothes are falling off of them. Hmm. You don't really see that in the covers of today. You might see the like half nude male, but if you think about it, like can you think of a modern book cover, even like one with a steamier cover with a nude male that also has a woman whose clothes are falling off? No. Yeah, you're right, exactly. The original ones were really, the woman was like, near nude in a way and so the question is like why is that for a male gaze anyway so these clinch covers started in the early 1970s the quote-unquote bodice stripper was kind of introduced as a new subgenre at that time um, and up until that point there were mass-marketed romance novels but they didn't really have sexually explicit material and kathleen Woodowis released a novel called The Flame and the Flower in 1972 that kind of embodied this bodice ripper thing that became a whole subgenre, and it was erotic and had explicit sex and also dealt with the concept of like the virginal heroine and the strong alpha male. So that kind of like kicked off some things in, in the early 70s. Before that, romance was kind of tame, which kind of makes sense if the you think about the 50s and the 60s leading up to that. Sex scenes were closed door or light on detail. Um, one article said that any jollies to be cotton came in the form of the infamous punishing kisses. <laughs> which I thought was funny because you still see punishing kisses today. Like I feel like authors are always using the forceful kissing, like it's passionate, yeah. right? Punishing is, is actually a pretty good word for it. So, but anyway, in the 70s, the real thing that started the clinch covers is that in 1975, the editorial director of Playboy Press, yes, they had had or have a publishing company. I don't know if it's still around. The editorial director was a woman, Mary Ann Stewart. And previously to 1975 at Playboy, they focused on male-oriented fiction and nonfiction. And she was the one who went to her bosses and was like, we should publish this book, The Flame and the Flower, from a few years prior. Like, we should make this a thing. We should, like, go this route and and see and explore what can be published here that's, like, more for women. Avon was another publishing house at the time. They ended up sort of, like, becoming in competition for each other and producing these, what became the clinch covers. And each of them were trying to, like, ratchet up the sex factor. <laughs> so they started to explore a little bit more. You know, there are tons of clinch covers that we could be looking at. That term became kind of standard in the industry in the 1980s, but they all have these like passionate embraces that we talked about, clothing on the verge of like melting away. <laughs> Some of them were tamer than others. There was one that I read and I, I put a picture. Well, we can post this picture on our social media, but I included it in our notes. This is a book from 1985, Tender is the Storm. It was illustrated by Robert McGinnis, and the author is Johanna Lindsay. And um, it appears 
from the man is like nude and the woman is pressed against him and it actually looks like he has shoved his penis between her breasts. Yeah. <laughs> like there, there's nowhere else where it could go. Yeah, no. As one article pointed out, like this probably couldn't have been shown on, you know, on TV or anything without FCC complaints. Like <laughs> I'm looking at it now and like it is it's pretty graphic and you don't really see anything like that today. Some retailers actually declined to carry that book because of the covers. Oh my God. So I think there was like a range of clinch covers where they could be more or less explicit. But as you get into the 80s, I think what was interesting as I was looking into this is, you know, we think about these heroines and what they look like, the windswept hair, and they're all like in historical clothes, but they all still look like they're out of the 80s. <laughs> like the hair is like hairsprayed big. They're wearing blue eyeshadow. Like it's very much the 80s imprinted on a Regency romance cover. But the models were always white. One of the articles I read talked about how, you know, even when the protagonist was supposedly Native American, the cover model would be white. Hmm. They didn't give an example of the book they were talking about, but that makes sense to me that that history did that. (laughs) That's interesting because one of the issues that came out with the Tessa Bailey cover is the opposite, where her characters in the book are white, but the main male character on the original cover of Tessa Bailey's book looked like he was Asian. Mm-hmm. And a lot of commenters on Twitter were really upset about this, basically. Like, you're luring people in with a potentially diverse cast, and your characters are actually white. So that's yeah. interesting that we've sort of flipped the script. And they were saying that other authors have done that. I don't, I'm not aware of any specifically, but yeah. Yeah, I think the covers are interesting as they connect to the story, because a lot of times, particularly in books on KU, I don't know what it is about KU, but I'll read a book and I'll have a certain cover with the hero and the heroine. And then I'm reading the book and I'm like, a hero is not even described as the cover model. Yeah. I'm like, this was just a cover you picked that actually doesn't connect to the storyline. Like they'll be like, the hero is like a dark blonde hair and the guy on the cover has got like dark hair with a beard. I'm like this <laughs> doesn't make any sense. So, but like you want there to be a connection with the yeah, cover and yeah, what you're reading. Should <laughs> it should be a visualization. It should be a visualization. Yeah. Anyway, so as these clinch covers continue to develop, I mean, We've seen them. They changed a little bit through the 90s, but I feel like now they have really transformed into something else and kind of to those two categories we talked about where they really focus on the male versus the female or or no gratuitous flesh or anything at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's more of a trend now to make books where you feel like you can be out reading them in public and yeah. not have somebody like side-eyeing you. <laughs> Which... It begs its own questions because, number one, you shouldn't feel ashamed for what you're reading. But at the same time, like, I myself understand the feeling of being awkward if I wanted to, like, bring out a book with that sort of cover on it. Right. Well, especially if the cover is depicting maybe an erotic scene where maybe that's part of the book, but it's not the entire book. And so if you're out on the subway and you're reading, you know, part of the fantasy plot line, there happens to be sex in it, but the whole cover is that. You don't want people to think you're just reading porn in the subway. Yeah. <laughs> Which I understand. Yeah, I understand that. I always think it's interesting for especially books that have been published in the last, I don't know, five to ten years, where sometimes the cover looks very sexual, but then the sex in the book actually isn't very graphic. I'm like, <laughs> I'm talking about, like, maybe not at all. 
And I'm like, I was promised. <laughs> well, so. that's, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I think that was part of it, right? When they came out with, when they started coming out with these covers, it was like, what you see is what you get. Like, this yeah. is it. I actually read something, it might have been the Jezbel article that you mentioned, but they were basically saying that one of the issues is that when these covers came out that showed these erotic scenes, it showed the clinch cover, that sort of played into us thinking of romance as this genre that we can sort of skip over because it made it seem like whatever was between the covers was the same in every book, where it's really not. Like, there's different layers of steam in the books, there's different layers of the quality of the writing, but if you have that type of cover, it sort of makes it easier for people to write it off as falling into all these other, you know, categories. Yeah, and I still see that today, even, like, in the subgenres of romance. Like, even though they're not the same as the clinch covers or steamier, like, in a different way, if I look at a sports romance cover and then I look at 10 other sports romance covers, like I'm probably going to find a lot of similarities. That doesn't mean they're the same book. Then again, they probably follow some of like the kind of tropes and, you know, patterns that we do see in a specific trope. Yeah. But you can't take all of romance. Right. And say like, it's all the same just because the covers look the same. Right. So anyway, I could talk about this for a long time because I just think the history of it is fascinating and I see the value in both ways. Part of me really doesn't want the clinch cover or anything like that to go away because I do think it is particularly now like reflective of women, you know, having a place in fiction that, you know, is not just their own, but like in like a lot of romance novels empower women or i feel like they should at the end of the day if they have female characters you know and i feel like like we should own the clinch cover like why the hell not yeah is this a quote from book riot that you have at the end here because i really like it yeah so the book riot quote i wrote down was if someone is disparaging romance novels it's not because of all the fabulous pectorals on display on our covers it's because any book involving women and satisfactory sex is both repugnant to them and at the same time completely beyond their ability to comprehend so I think that's what I was getting at. Like, I think we should just own it because women's pleasure, whether it's like emotional or mental or physical, it should be valued in society and we shouldn't shy away from it. Yeah. And fuck everyone who, you know, doesn't want to look at it. It's your, your deal. <laughs> well, they can just read something else. Exactly. Super interesting. Thank you for looking into that. That was really cool. Yeah. I'm excited to see the new cover of Tessa Bailey's book. I know. Um, and it's her first romantic suspense. So I'm excited to read it when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anything else we wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I feel like we covered a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, you can find us on social media, Instagram and Twitter, at loveand underscore podcast. Mm-hmm. You can also find us online at loveandpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Please share your updates, your favorite reads. If you have a favorite historical romance cover that you think is amazing, please, please send do. us a photo. There's so many. And they do start to become, like, the same after a while. And when I'm looking at them, but the one I copied and pasted with it basically looks like he's, like, fucking her tits. It's like, if you look close, you're like, oh, that's what's happening. Mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. they're very interesting. We'll post that one. If you've got interesting you. ones, please share them. Yeah, please share them. Anyway, thank you so much. I'm Caitlin. That's Kristen. This is Love And. And we'll see you next week for our time travel episode. Yeah. Bye, lovers. Go love yourselves. Oh,